and welcome to the Decking Awesome Games podcast. My name is Owen, and I'm joined by the awesome Kira and Brian. Hello. Hello. Today we are talking about escape rooms and why they are awesome. We're going to discuss where to find them, what makes them awesome, and alternatives that we enjoy. <laughs> Let's start off by asking what is an escape room? Have you ever dreamed of being kidnapped and locked in a room for an hour and then someone just letting you go and going, oh, sorry about that, and then taking some money off you? <laughs> escape rooms might be for you. <laughs> it's a basically a set of fun puzzles that you have usually an hour to solve with a group of friends where you're in the room trying various different combinations and keys and locks and puzzles and that to try and get out of the room before your timer runs out and presumably some implied consequences happen. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great piece of fun thing to do with your friends and family and all sorts. Yeah. And there's usually some sort of scenario that goes with it that is fun to experience. Some sort of being trapped with an evil mummy or a ghost or some other adventure. How do people get themselves into these situations? <laughs> <laughs> it seems to come up surprisingly often. <laughs> when looking for an escape room, there are a few key kind of aspects that we like to think about. They're like team, quality props and surprising puzzles. So let's start off with team. How does this team make an escape room good? So regardless of the team, it's all about the immersion element of it. So maybe you are an archaeologist uncovering a tomb in Egypt, or maybe you are a detective trying to solve some sort of mystery, murder mystery adventure. Crazy murder, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or a, a sailor trying to get out of a sinking ship. I think they're all like really fun, interesting, compelling hooks that get you into the game. So I think that team gives you an idea of what you're supposed to be doing when you get in there so it's not too overwhelming. Seeing a room full of like 20 puzzles and not knowing what to do can be a bit much. But if you at least have an overall objective, it really helps to give you some direction once you get there. And then like it really adds to how much you get involved. So the same as computer games where some people like a first person shooter and they just like to shoot things and they don't really care what the team is or where it's set or anything like that. And then other people want to be fighting aliens on some desert planet or they care that they're trying to save the world from something. I like there's, there's first person shooters and there's people who want to kill aliens. That's the, <laughs> the two categories with computer game players. <laughs> people who'll just shoot anything and people who only want to shoot aliens. <laughs> but yes, team, team does lend itself a lot. Like if you're, you know, at the start, you know, you've gotten trapped in this Egyptian tomb and you're trying to find the secret entrance after you've robbed the jewels from the mummy's sarcophagus. Now, you know, you're working towards getting the sarcophagus open and you're also trying to find an exit. And, you know, maybe you're using clues around the room and you open you open one puzzle and it, it might guide you towards the next kind of thing. But if you don't have a good running theme to it, you solve one puzzle and you're like, oh, what do I do next? I don't, I don't really know where I'm going with this. You know, it's just, you know, you solve a load of light switches on a wall, you get them in the right order and that's it. You get a tick to say you've done, you're done. But then you're like, oh, okay, do I go spin this big wheel thing? Who knows? That's fun. It's fun to pretend to be in that kind of situation. It's, it's a lot easier to imagine like a sinking ship or you have to get out of an Egyptian tomb if that team kind of revolves around that. And then your players, every, every, all your friends and stuff like that, we might have a good piece of fun pretend to be archaeologists or sailors and you know saying sailor things and doing sailor stuff <laughs> mostly making sailor jokes <laughs> yeah yeah it's fun it keeps the conversation going too <laughs> i think uh, one of the other aspects of it is groups especially at the start tend to enjoy or get more interested in a team that that they can relate to or that they find interesting in the first place. One of the, the big variants, I think, in the games in Ireland is the scariest level. So some of the escape rooms can be really immersive, but they go all out on some of the horror teams. And that's definitely one where you've got to be careful. If your group isn't that into scary things, having a lot of scary stuff jump out and pop out at you is not a good first experience for a board game. So maybe leave that till you've played it if you do, or escape room. <laughs> Sorry. So maybe leave that till uh, later on. If you are playing board games and someone jumps out at you while you're doing it that you weren't expecting in your house, call the guards. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for an introduction as well in the escape rooms because team allows you to pick the ones, the escape rooms you like. You know, if you, if you want to get involved in like archaeology or you know, you, you kind of gravitate towards teams that people tend to enjoy, whether you're going to be a mafia boss or something like that. So, yeah. Or you fancy yourself the next Miss Marple. <laughs> yeah. I could totally be Miss Marple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was pictured more of as a Poirot. It's the mustache. The... 
All right, so uh, what are quality props and how do they add quality to an escape room? So good props really, really set off the room. Like they lend themselves to the theme. But like if you walk into a room and it's just, you know, an empty room, like that was a converted office and, you know, they've got a few things stuck to the walls. You're not that inclined to look around. You might kind of just go over and flip through a book on the table or something like that. Whereas if you walk into the room and, you know, they've got these great big, fake boulders and they've got a big sarcophagus in the middle and stuff like that you're going to go over and you're going to investigate it and oh it looks cool and oh what do these do and it kind of brings you into the room it actually helps you probably find the puzzles and clues and stuff like that a bit better you kind of you get drawn into the story and everything really rather than just kind of standing in an empty room going oh there's a table over there i suppose it's yeah. exciting to have one of them at home. That's I got that from Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun because like, uh, people will tend to gravitate to the things they see, like you said. So if you're playing a mafia escape room, they want to pick up the gun or they'll see all the mafia like hats and stuff and the people will start wearing them. Like All sorts of stuff like that. It's just good. It helps people just start messing around in the room and kind of getting used to the area and the surroundings. And in a good um, science-based one, I always enjoy wearing a lab coat. Oh, There's yeah. always prop lab coats. I'll always put one on. You always have to have a prop lab coat on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It makes, it makes a big difference yeah. to my experience with any of the science-based skateboards. I mean, are you really solving a science puzzle if you're not wearing a fake lab coat? That's, that's no, you're not. Answer, so. That's yeah, the problem. That's, uh... <laughs> so, yeah, I think really interesting props can, can make all the difference. I think we were playing a game with a, a board in the middle and the pieces moved electronically and clicked things open and that and I felt that that sort of stuff really makes it interesting because when you move something in one part of the room and something else opens in a different section that can make you feel really like this is a proper mystery that I'm solving like I'm actually even though it's still the same old puzzle that you're trying to figure out a number or a word that's relevant it just feels a little more immersive that that things can happen automatically or if you have to like are in a science fiction based one and you have to swipe something across the front of some sort of panel and it automatically opens or you have to put objects inside a a pot and the right objects cause it to open all those sorts of little things really really make you feel like that is a good experience that's one of those things that you remember and you talk about them for ages afterwards yeah i feel like the the good the good props kind of lend themselves to good puzzles where you know you're as you said if you're you know, if you're just opening a notebook and you're finding a number and then you're going around and trying all the combination locks you found around the room versus, you know, getting a number and typing it into a, a like a, a sci-fi themed interface and then all of a sudden there's a shh and the door opens behind you kind of thing. That feels much more immersive than, than just going, click, yep, the lock opened, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> What's in this drawer? And after the escape room is done, a lot of people will discuss those quality props and stuff because... A lot of times you want the like the main puzzle or the ending puzzle or so many intro puzzles to be these quality props. And then people will just like discuss how cool it was to, you know, do this kind of puzzle where you had to open up the sarcophagus and you open it up and then like fake fog came out yeah. and stuff like that. That kind of just adds a whole bunch of memorable experiences. And people will tend to, you know, memories are pretty quickly forgotten. But those kind of quality props, they are remembered as pretty much the only thing that's remembered from escape room. <laughs> they're not really sure what the puzzle was yeah. or how they fixed it in the end. There was like lots of colors and numbers, but they'll remember what happened once you open up that prop or mess with it. That's true. You don't walk out of an escape room going, man, did you see the way I swirled those numbers? <laughs> One, two, three, four on that combo lock. Oh, yes. <laughs> Patting yourself on the back. And excessively long puzzles also, I think the same sort of thing. You don't remember spending 10 minutes on, on doing like some sort of decoding a message if it's if it's arduous work but if you just had to code three letters or three numbers something more concise but you needed some sort of special skill that's more what you'd remember you kind of want to keep it interesting and short yeah yeah yeah. it's hard it's hard hard to figure out what the most memorable stuff will be like if you're doing a sailor escape room and you've got like a giant map and uh, you end up like using the map to solve puzzles you might not really remember the map unless like something cool happens to the map or something changes and then everyone will be like oh my god do you remember that time the map you had to do all this kind of stuff and we, we did all these things and then it changed that's kind of how you create those memories but yeah those those quality props really do add a whole bunch of uh, yeah. team and 
and usability and, and adding some sort of elements to the puzzles that make the whole thing much better. All right, so let's move on to discussing surprising puzzles. Why are they so important? So like, I think a lot of the a lot of the puzzles you come across in escape rooms, like especially the, what I mean, it just sound insulting, some of the ones who, who haven't put as much money or effort into props and theme and stuff like that. It's, you know, find a notebook in a drawer, open the notebook, find the numbers one, two, three, four, put them in a combination lock, it opens, it gives you another notebook or another piece of paper with a different number on it and you go and try it in a different combination lock. Like they're good to make you feel like you're making a bit of progress in the room, but if that's all there is to the game, it gets a bit monotonous and a bit boring. Same way, just finding a key and you know, you're looking around the room going, well, there's eight different locks this could fit in. I suppose I'll just go try it in the mall. So when you when you have puzzles like now, I mean, they're nice, easy puzzles. They're great to put in, but you know, if that's all the room has, you don't come out going, man, that was great. But, you know, nice, big, complex puzzles or, you know, something like you have to rearrange books in an order on a shelf so that RFID chips line up in the right place and it, it opens a door somewhere. That kind of like different kind of variant of puzzle really makes it a bit more interesting. Yeah, and I think that when those basic puzzles are used to keep you on track, they can actually be really, really useful mechanisms. So like finding a key might show you that you should have investigated that area. Or uh, if you want to progress the team along and you just want to move people from one section to another, having some sort of simple guidelines so that they know they're on track is a really, really useful mechanism when it's used like that. So when it's used to progress you through a series of rooms or so that you don't have access to an area until the right time, it makes perfect sense. I'd agree that if, if, if it's all that there is to a room, it can feel like you haven't really achieved that much of all you've done is play like hide and seek with keys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think that uh, the surprising puzzles and the, the more interesting puzzles are slightly different to the props, where the props are like something pretty or interesting that kind of links team, then an unusual puzzle that goes with that. Like if you uncover certain archaeological items and then they combine and they cause you to be able to solve something on a wall or yeah. finish a picture, those things make it just more interesting. So I guess it, it's the final step in the in the link of the three things that the team, that the props and then the puzzle side of it all combine together. It can really bring the finishing touches to a room. Yeah, it's important to differentiate as well difficulty of puzzles with surprising puzzles because like when you play a lot of escape rooms, you'll, you'll start to realize that there's a lot of common tropes when it comes to escape rooms, whether that's like, you know, padlocks where there's a number involved and you've got to find the number by you know doing a few other puzzles or it might be written on a piece of paper in kind of a way that you have to kind of figure things out those are kind of tropes it's surprising puzzles they don't have to be difficult you can have very easy ones where like you know putting the book on the bookshelf causes this rfid chip yeah. to kind of kick in that's easy enough to do it's just that it's surprising because a lot of people wouldn't realize that person has put the time and effort to actually make that a puzzle yeah and so it's really fun to see when you can see that the escape rooms have a lot of effort and a lot of kind of work put into them to make them kind of interesting and new and the things you do actually matter and uh, like having the book in the right place or doing the right thing actually causes the puzzle it makes you realize that this thing is just a lot more than just a couple of keypad locks yeah in a room and they don't have to be difficult but also if you do have if you are looking up escape rooms or you're trying new escape rooms they will tell you what their difficulty is but that doesn't mean that they're going to be surprising puzzles you can have surprising puzzles right at the very beginning and beginner ones as well as expert ones but yeah you, you know that also that difficulty thing comes in of you know we've we, I've, I've seen that before in escape rooms where the first few parts of the escape room are really easy it's just keypad locks finding a few numbers and then the last puzzle is really difficult and that kind of that can throw people off a lot and um, especially if the surprisingness like uh, doesn't match with what you've been doing so far so can i have a consistent difficulty consistent like surprisingness of it kind of foreshadow as well what the next kind of puzzles are in an escape room that those kind of things help a lot so if you have your main you know quality prop puzzle being something cool with a sarcophagus where you have to put stuff in maybe have that puzzle in a more basic sense somewhere else in a room as an introductory so that people can do that first i think the surprisingness 
of where you've gotten through a bunch of easy puzzles and then you come across a com- complex puzzle can really affects people's ability to solve it as well. I think it causes a lot of people to get stuck in escape rooms and need hints and no one really wants to ever ask for hints. But I think that it comes up a lot when up to a certain point an escape room is just pop something in, in one place and it, it, it unlocks or find a key under something or find a code hidden in some papers. When you jump from that to something really, really complex where it's a lot of layers, if you haven't given people the opportunity to learn that th- this could happen or that the, the game is this complex, they can tend to just keep trying to go back to assuming they've overtaught the puzzle. So like I think uh, we found it in a few games that we've played where we've been going along and actually everything has been more complicated than we thought. So we'd try a hard escape room and we'd be playing and all the puzzles would be really, really difficult. And then we get thrown off by a really easy one because our expectation is that they're all going to be difficult layered puzzles. And then like we get annoyed when it's like a really easy one. Yeah. And it's like, there's so many more complicated ways it could have been explained or that that puzzle could have resulted in something really complicated and layered. And then no, it's like they've just chosen some words or you just have to take some numbers off a picture and it had a lot of potential to be a very complex puzzle and I guess that's like part of the experience of escape rooms but I guess when it's the other way when you're going for something and it's loads of easy puzzles and one hard one it can be really disconcerting it's probably not as you can kind of get there when it's an easier puzzle but it still it still feels like you're missing something it feels like you've just solved something a really easy way and then maybe you didn't do it right, which has also happened where we've come up with a really, really easy solution to something and have managed to <laughs> skip ahead because it was it was just coincidentally yeah. a different puzzle or all the layers were lost on us and we ended up with the right answer yeah. in a really easy way. Um, yeah, the, the team as well of the puzzles can affect this thing kind of quite dramatically like you're talking about easy and hard i've i've had experiences where i go into an escape room with a whole bunch of friends and it's mostly dexterity based puzzles and then like about halfway through the room they throw a card at us like you know where it's like flowers and and like eagles and stuff like that and then we were like we had no idea what this was and it turns out it was like the flowers of the paintings on the wall and the eagles yeah that came from the room and we just been doing like dexterity puzzles. We were balancing things and we're trying to fit things through holes. And then it's thrown this complete. Now, like I, I, I get it. They were trying to like advance and give you new puzzles. They just threw that straight out, and we didn't know what to do because it was totally different than what we've been doing up to that point. We've gotten ourselves into this kind of train of thought of this is how we're going to do dexterity puzzles from here on out. And then it was just totally different. It was just a totally different style of a puzzle, and that can throw you off completely. It's, a, it's definitely a surprising puzzle, <laughs> but um, I wouldn't say, it, I wouldn't recommend it, no. Like, I don't know, I, I do think consistency is good for you, you're kind of keeping, you're kind of keeping going with the same things, but I, like, I like a puzzle like that where, you know, you've done pretty much similar solving of, of all the puzzles throughout the room, but then you come to one and, you know, like that, it's a dexterity, mostly a dexterity room, and you're sitting there looking at these pictures of flowers and you're just throwing them at things, trying to figure out why I want to do something. <laughs> it's good just to kind of, because like an escape room is fun when you get all the way through it, but like if you fly through the room without having to stop or think or be challenged at all, you know, it, it doesn't feel as good a victory. Like you walk out of the room and go, I mean, I did that in 20 minutes. I didn't really have to strain or think or puzzle or stop at all like everything was too obvious but when you're you solve a few puzzles and you think you're you, you're on top of your game and then you spend 20 minutes looking at a very obvious solution that you're just not seeing it's good to good to kind of go oh i can't believe i didn't get that or oh i really had to work hard to figure that one out kind of thing and like yeah a little bit frustrating but <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time it feels like you've earned it a bit more when you when you walk out yeah yeah yeah, I agree with that. Is there any tips for someone trying an escape room for the first time? Yeah, so take your time. One of the big things about coming into a room full of puzzles is that it can be quite overwhelming to see half of the answers to 10 different puzzles all in one place. So don't rush into the first puzzle you see. I think try and take in all of the room if you can. Walk around it. Don't rush And that will just mean that while your first puzzle might be slower to solve, you actually get a really good 
feel for the room so that later on when you're stuck on like the fifth puzzle and you can't figure out it has a picture of a flower and you never even notice that there was flowers in the walls. But if you if you spent that time to just take in the whole room every time you move, you might remember that, oh, I saw, I saw a flower earlier. So stuff like that, like breathe and don't like feel compelled to rush. I know that some places they'll try and give you hints straight away if they feel like you're not doing anything. So walk around maybe so that the person doesn't feel like you're just overwhelmed. <laughs> uh, if there is somebody behind the counter looking at what you're doing, but I'd still, even now, I still wait a second and I'm always the slowest to get involved in the puzzles. Yeah, that, that like the, it is good advice. The first thing, walk around the room, open all the drawers, check all the books and everything, because a lot of a lot of rooms tend to have puzzles like where you have to find six or seven different pieces and put them together to solve a later puzzle. And you'll get bits throughout the whole game and stuff like that. And if you've just walked in and dived straight into one puzzle and someone else has jumped into something else and someone else is rooting through a bookshelf, you know, you'll miss obvious stuff. Like there was one one escape room we did where we walked in and the whole room was in darkness and we solved the entire escape room in the dark. We actually set a record time on that one, I think, but we said that we solved the entire thing in with the dark. Two torches. With two yeah, Two very dim torches. And it turned out that if we just opened the drawer on the table, there was a key to the light switch. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't complicated, but we just the whole thing because we went straight the to the most complicated yeah. so yeah that was like an early one we did <laughs> and there were four of us and it was really good like yeah. it was and it had really good set pieces it had like proper electronic controlled stuff yeah. in it. but we didn't but notice that's, that that's, you could that's, turn. that's very common in escape rooms as well so i wouldn't worry too much about if you if you are end up doing it it's very common to go in with like six friends and then one person will just go over to a box and then just point it and say, all right, this is my puzzle. I'm yeah. going to fix this puzzle. You guys do whatever you want. I'm just going to work on this one. And they, have, they haven't even looked at anything else or how to fix this box, how it relates to the rest of the room. Yeah. It's very common. So escape, a lot of escape rooms, if you, if you do pick a beginner escape room, they tend to work that into it. So it's not the, wor- it's not the worst thing in the world. You'll figure it out after a while. It just make, might take you more yeah. Or you'll do it all in the dark and just get over it. <laughs> yeah. I just assumed that was probably how it was supposed to run. And then when they come in at the end and tell you, why didn't you turn on the lights? Man, you feel stupid. <laughs> but they're still impressed with your time. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it is it is a good idea to, if you're struggling or you're really stuck, like you say some designers are mad keen to give you clues and they are like, they'll be shouting clues at you just because you've paused for five seconds and you really want to just think about the puzzle and solve it yourself. But if you find yourself after 10 minutes not having solved any clues and, you know, two of the people you're in the room with are just huddled in the corner, rocking back and forth, crying, ask for a clue. <laughs> the, 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 Game makers want you to get through the game. They want you to do all the puzzles. They want you to get out and feel great about yourself. Go off and tell your friends how brilliant it was that you solved all these puzzles and got out. So like they don't want to see you get stuck on the first puzzle and not advance anywhere at all. So while some of them maybe are too keen with clues, others, you know, they'll wait for you to come to them for clues. So to give you a chance to solve it yourself, which is great, but you shouldn't be afraid to ask for clues. I think uh, as well, it's a little bit cultural. So I think in Canada and the US, they were more inclined to give us clues if we just stopped moving. Yeah. Whereas in Ireland, I think you, you have to ask. Yeah. They'll, even if they want to give you a hint, I think some of the ones where they can put hints on the on, on screens and things, they might be more inclined to give you hints. Yeah. But um, I think that they kind of want to wait for you to be sure that, that you want a clue rather yeah. than going, oh, well, it's been two minutes since your last clue solving. We'll just <laughs> get you going. Like sometimes if, if they're really trying to force clues on you, it means you've gone in the complete wrong direction. Yeah. Like if you're trying to open a lock and you've gotten to the point of dismantling the bookcase with a screwdriver that was accidentally <laughs> left in the room, they're probably going to tell you, maybe look in the drawer over there rather than take <laughs> apart our set pieces. <laughs> and it's okay to just, if you're stuck, Try something weird. Like if you know two puzzle pieces don't go together, but you have been like two minutes at this one puzzle or probably more than two minutes, maybe five or 10 minutes at one puzzle. It's okay to just try random things that might jog your memory or say things out loud. Talking out loud is like a really, really core thing about escape rooms, especially if you're doing it in a group. And like escape rooms do work better if it's not just one person. Yeah, like when you like if you walk into a escape room and everyone kind of splits up and they're doing their own thing, and three of you find pieces to a big combined puzzle, and 
two of you are going, oh, I've got this piece, and someone else going, oh, I've got this piece, and the other person doesn't say anything, just puts it in their pocket and goes, oh, I'll worry about that later. You will drive yourselves mental walking around for 10 minutes trying to find that last puzzle piece before that person realizes, oh, I actually had it the whole time. And then you lock that person back in the room after you get out. And <laughs> <laughs> you just pay the designer to leave them in there for two hours. They're okay with that. <laughs> it's probably less the pocketing of clues, but more like if you open a fixed component, like a cupboard, and you're the person who opens it, and then on the inside is a map or something like that. And you don't say to everyone, oh, by the way, there's a map. You're just like, oh, well, I'll just, you know, I'll be aware that there's a map in that. So I'll keep that track of that. If you think that, then you might miss something where somebody was looking at some weird clue that you weren't paying attention to and it involved, it needed a map. It's just easier if you call out everything. Mm. Like we probably talk too much during. Probably. We, yeah. we shout every little thing at each other. I thought that was going towards a dig at me because I, I have a horrible tendency of like, I'll open a drawer or I'll open a press and I'll take out the first thing I see and just walk away. Rather, but sometimes designers put multiple things into those drawers. We got, twice. We got, twice we've gotten stuck yeah, for a really long time because Brian has just left the other component. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I took out one little box that was in a drawer and like if I'd just found the other piece that was sitting right behind it, would have saved ourselves 20 minutes on that game. <laughs> yeah. Once he was locked in a cabin on his own. So it was only <laughs> he, him who could have got it. And he still left something behind. We were both locked in separate cabins. I assume the point was to help the other person out. And I was just annoyed that you couldn't figure out how to get me out, even though I'd gotten you out in like 20 seconds. But no, it turns out that my escape was also in my room. <laughs> <laughs> and I just hadn't looked down at any point during that whole Instead, thing. you just got grumpy at me. <laughs> <laughs> you were letting me out. <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> yeah, they can, they can escape room uh, designers can play to those perceptions of what you think the puzzle is going to be as well. So like that you can go into a room and think, oh, this is going to be a detective thing where there's lots of keys and guns and yeah. lockers and stuff. And then like the, this doesn't have to be. <laughs> <laughs> so the designer can put those props all around yeah. the room and then the puzzle can be something totally <laughs> different. <laughs> oh man, that, now I, I'll try not to give away any clues on this, but there's one where you go in and you're basically trapped in opposite corners of the room and you're, you're like handcuffed to a wall and the designer comes in and gives you the talk about it and then they give you a big misdirect and they're like, oh yeah, you'll need to get out of the handcuffs. You know, something over there might help you. Something over there doesn't help you at all. <laughs> and you spend ages trying to figure out ways to reach over and grab things. And maybe if you do something elaborate over here, but it turns out you can just open the handcuffs. It's really easy. There's no complicated to it. If you just check the handcuffs for four seconds, you'd be able to get out. <laughs> that was really good. I was so annoyed with myself and them, but it was really good. <laughs> we should definitely put in a warning about spoilers. <laughs> That's tricky. That is a tricky one. It was very good. It was very enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. So working together is really important when it comes to groups because you will generally have like uh, leaders, especially if someone's already done an escape room and they're kind of like part of the group. But yeah, everyone working together and also solving problems by themselves is very important. Yeah, give everyone a chance, especially like sometimes the quiet people can can really yeah, be good for like overarching puzzles that maybe aren't so obvious. Yeah. But it can if, if you have a dominant personality, sometimes they decide that they know how something is going to be solved. And then the whole group is just like takes a back seat because they don't want to interfere. So you kind of want to be sure that your group is like is not afraid that somebody's going to take over. Yeah. That old brute force and ignorance approach. That person usually dominates the room, but if you're sitting there, look, flipping through the book at the back and you found the answer to the next three puzzles and they're just going, oh no, no, it's definitely this. This is definitely how you solve it. And you know they're wrong. Speak up. <laughs> yeah, it can get tricky because some people, like if you're doing an escape room, a load of friends or family or something like that, or relatives, there can always be one person in the group who's not really into it. He's only going around for the, for the laugh. So just make sure that everyone is on the same page that we all have to work together, even if you're not really into it. Yeah. Yeah, still have to be part of the team. And I think talking out loud really helps that. So if you keep saying what's happening out loud, even that person who's quiet at the back knows what's going on. So if they did yeah. want to jump in, they have the opportunity because they're not being left out of anything. Maybe they're not like directly interacting with anything, but a good idea if you do want to get somebody involved and they have no interest, like if you find a key and you want to keep searching, have them maybe try and find what to try open locks, and stuff like that or yeah. try the different locks. It's a good way to, I know it seems like not that interesting a task, but it's a good way to get them involved because once they open that puzzle, they have to shout out what's in the puzzle or they have to share with the group. So because you've already been like shouting out 
make things, it might make them feel more involved. So try and make sure to, to when you have some sort of task to do that, that's fairly straightforward. Maybe it's just, it gives them a little more confidence to, to get involved. Yeah, have a think about the group size of doing these escape rooms and how many people actually want to do it. Because like escape rooms can range quite dramatically from two people all the way up to like 10 people, maybe even more. Yeah. And and they have recommended group sizes when it comes to these escape rooms. And that's kind of, that's a good indication of how people are going to approach it. So like if you have a, an escape room for like eight people, they probably have like three separate kind of areas, like mini areas inside the room where like three different groups can kind of spend time on different puzzles. And that can be very handy if you kind of want to mix and match different groups or you have like kind of three separate groups that people want to uh, mix in together. So they can, escape rooms can manage quite large amounts of people. But the only problem, like I've, I've, I've done large group ones before and you do tend to, like if you have three people over in this side of the room, three people on this side, they tend not to speak to each other but they'll speak inside their little mini group. So they'll discuss the puzzles and stuff like that, yeah. which then if there is an overarching puzzle, that can be tricky because then the two groups get together and they're like, all right, what did you learn? What did you learn? And it's like, I learned a lot. Like they both learned <laughs> a lot. And I was like, well, the important thing is maybe this, you know, key. <laughs> but it's not. It turns out it was like the number 52 that was written on the side of the wall <laughs> that no one's mentioning. So yeah, that can be tricky. Yeah, I think the amount of people that they advise for a room is, is a good indication. Yeah. It shouldn't just be about space. It should be about like being able to solve it. I like to think for big group rooms that there's a lot of parallel puzzles or that's how it should be. Is that if you're, if you're saying your room is available for eight people, it can't just be about the size that eight people will fit yeah. in a room. It has to be about like the fact that if eight people split into two groups of four, there'll at least be enough puzzles for each of them to do a few. Yeah, like if it's if it's just, you know, you solve one puzzle and that gives you a clue to solve the next puzzle, which gives you a clue to solve the next puzzle. All eight people are just looking at one puzzle and following it around and it, like, it doesn't really feel like everyone's doing something. Whereas, you know, if you have four different puzzles that all take different paths and get you to the end with different keys and you need all four keys at the same time kind of thing, that's great because you can all split up and follow different tracks. I've seen that done in quite interesting ways. Like you said before, having multiple rooms that people stared in as well. So you could have one group in one room and then the other group in the other and like a one-way mirror in like a detective thing and then <laughs> all that kind of stuff. That, and then yeah, you can pass stuff to each other through the like, hole or something like that. And that, that that kind of stuff is really interesting. Yeah. And that's like a quality prop that's like, but it's more like the layout of the room. Very cool ways of doing large groups of people. But like if you are kind of intimidated by that whole process and, you know, you, you think it's going to end in chaos, just try doing an escape room with like four people yeah. or like three people. And that way you can, generally speaking, if it's three people or four people, you'll all be working on the same puzzle together. Or maybe you might be splitting up, but not too far away from each other. It's only really true investigation. And until someone finds the puzzle, then you all get together and go, all right, how do we, how do we solve this as a team? Another thing is don't force puzzles. This is probably one thing you're going to be told if you do play a lot of every escape rooms. Room, every yeah. escape room. There's a reason for it. People tend to end up forcing things when they, <laughs> when they can't solve them. But it is true. You never need to force yeah. things. You very seldom need to move furniture or drag things around the room or forcibly break something open. If you can't open it, you probably haven't solved the puzzle yet. There are exceptions, one or two, <laughs> and they ruin the experience. Yeah, that and one where we got stuck for like 20 minutes and because he told us at the start, don't move any furniture. But what he meant was don't move any furniture except that one piece of furniture that you need to move to find the answer to one of the puzzles. That's really annoying. And then they're like, oh, you know, but you're supposed to be solving a puzzle. It's like, well, we're trying to be respectful. Yeah your wishes <laughs> it's like when everyone else just pushes over the furniture it's like but you told us not to <laughs> so i think that they there has been we've done a lot of escape rooms we have there's been only two exceptions yeah. in all the escape rooms we've ever done and other than that we've never had to and both of those were like well we complained about them so hopefully they fix them <laughs> well this is, I, I just point out that the only two times you mentioned that people speaking about escape rooms like the escape room designers that uh, they've said the wrong thing and you're supposed to do the opposite. Never do the opposite. Just take their word as gospel usually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If they say this fire extinguisher in the corner of the room is because this room can go on fire, that fire extinguisher is not part of the puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually a fire extinguisher and, and it will go off. And you mess chances with it. are they're telling you that because someone else has already set off the fire extinguisher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like 50 times that we've done it, it, what they say is absolute gospel. Yeah. So I think it's better to lose in that situation than to mess with the, the rooms because there are security features and especially in like, I think Ireland has a lot of ones on 
you have to be able to actually leave the room. Like yeah. Ireland has a rule, you can't actually be locked in dancing. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not allowed. So they often have fire escapes or they often have automatic features on the door that will open. They'll tell you where the key is that lets you out of the out of the door in case of any emergencies. And it'll usually be hanging on a hook right beside the door. It's just like, this isn't a clue. You don't need this unless you really need to escape for an actual emergency. Yeah, it's to stop panic and things yeah. like that. So whatever they say is gospel, but if they say don't force things, you honestly don't need to force things. Yeah, like most people in escape rooms are not big, kind of strong people. So just don't... The weak activities. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because most people aren't strong. <laughs> so like you don't need to lift the couch to f- solve the problem. Yeah. It's usually, it's it's kind of dexterity. It's kind of figuring things out. It's all about like your problem solving in your mind. So like, you know, it's obviously available to anybody in our society so you know don't feel like your your group is too like you don't have the physical strength to lift the couch you don't need to the clue is not usually behind the couch and if there is anything like agile or strength based there will be loads of warnings on the site to tell you yeah. that that would be the case even if it's like mildly agile like you, you might have to need to crawl, crawl through this stuff, yeah I've seen that. I've seen that a couple of times, and I was, I'm always shocked in escape rooms allowing crawling. I've crawled into ducks, and I've crawled into all sorts of places, yeah. and crawled into rooms, and I'm like, surely this is a health and safety hazard. I think it only ever involves one person crawling. So they say on the puzzle, like you have to be. They always have loads of information, and then if you're, if you're, if so, you're... so it's, it's okay for one person to get trapped in a duck. <laughs> <laughs> the needs of the many. <laughs> Usually they have like then a door opens and everyone can go through, or they have a way around it that they let people yeah. with walking impairments go around. So they ask at the start. Oh, okay, so, that makes sense. So they'll, if, if everyone has like an aversion invers- to crawling, yeah. they'll actually usually just open a certain door that's hidden or yeah. in the wall and they'll let you through there. So like a diehard themed one where you're supposed to crawl through the air ducts, you know, you, you won't have to do it if you're not physically able. There is a usually a bypass. Actually, I wonder, I wonder, are there diehard themed ones? There's probably diehard themed ones in America. Yeah, that'd probably. be cool. That'd be cool. <laughs> and when, I, when it comes to don't forcing things as well, another one is, um, I remember doing an escape room where we all had to get like a couple of different keys to unlock the final safe. And I had a box. We were constantly trying to figure out because a lot of the other puzzles were like lots of puzzles connected together. So it was like, you know, this box is opened because of this thing, this painting over here, and then this thing you found. But the boxes I had, no one was finding anything related to my box. And I couldn't understand it. And I was like, and it's got like a little tree number code on it. And uh, like, as we were going around trying to figure out what links to this box, I was just kind of like hacking it slightly. So I was, just kinda, <laughs> I was guessing the number, you just have to roll the pins to find out. So I was just kind of doing the offhand while it happened. And uh, we never found it. And then it opened in the end. And it was like, the code was like, I'm not going to say what it is, but the number was actually on the box. <laughs> <laughs> but because we were looking at every, every other box, we laid the outside the box. So... Yeah, when I don't force things also means like don't hack things for any of you, you software developers you out there. The, you spend a long time cheating when you didn't need to. Yeah, there's no point in cheating because you're just ruining for yourself. Yeah. So like I, I hacked it and then I looked at the number and I was like, how is this the number? And then I looked at the box and I was like, in the actual pattern was the number all over the place. <laughs> thousands upon thousands of times all over the entire box was that number. Uh, yeah, it was annoying. <laughs> We've had a lot of interesting ones with jumping ahead oh yeah and uh, getting stuck so I guess in that instance yeah you probably shouldn't have hacked the box you probably should have just figured out what the puzzle was sometimes we've skipped ahead and gone back where we've accidentally thought we were answering a puzzle and answered it how we in our heads thought it solved and then that has caused us to jump ahead two steps yeah and then we're confused because you get left with a load of like unused clues yeah so it really messes with your head so actually Skipping ahead can sometimes just really ruin the experience for you because you're you're left with all these open threads that you just can't solve. So it actually usually ruins the fun rather than even though you might get it solved quicker, it might not be enjoyable. And then the other thing is let game designers send you back a few steps if they think you need to. Yeah. So I think once we, we used what we knew about science... Yeah. <laughs> and we thought that that was how you solved one of the puzzles, uh, <laughs> Brian specifically. <laughs> and it so worked. <laughs> it, it did work. But that wasn't how you're supposed to solve the puzzle at all. Yeah. And actually it ended up skipping like, like four or five different puzzles. Yeah. 
So the game designer came in and just went, that's not how you're supposed to solve that. And I still don't know how you did that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, it was it was a it was a science trick. Yeah. <laughs> and they had a different science trick that was how you're supposed yeah. to solve it. Well, an electronic thing. A cool little, yeah. It was it was really cool to pull the solving. But like in that instance, it doesn't hurt to go back. Like and it, if we had skipped ahead, like that escape room would have taken 15 minutes and we would have been out. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been any fun because well, solving that one puzzle would have been fun, but we would have missed all the really cool puzzles. All the cool puzzles along the way, yeah. Yeah, so, so just be aware. It, like, be led by the game. If the game designer comes in and says, you've just skipped everything. Yeah. Some, one game designer did let us skip once, so we, yeah. we solved a puzzle and we skipped three puzzles in between, and they let us get the best time for that room. Yeah. But only, I don't think we went on the scoreboard, but they gave us, like, a little mini prize yeah. for, for it. <laughs> and that was really nice of them, because we were like... We didn't really yeah. deserve it. <laughs> I, I think some some designers are worried that, you know, your friends might have played this room before and they told you, oh, well, the code for that lock is one, two, three, four. And you've come in and gone, oh, I solved this puzzle. And you've jumped ahead. And, you know, it's like, I'm, I am I don't know why you cheat like that. You're giving them 50 quid. You may as well play the room rather than just get out of the room. Like, Although we are setting up a new room that if anyone wants to give me 50 quid and I open a door for them, <laughs> I, I'm taking bookings now. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you guys think about uh, red herrings? I haven't seen them a whole lot doing my escape rooms. Whenever you open up a, like you solve a puzzle, you open it up, you find a key and a note that says 72. Uh, usually they're actually clues. They don't, they don't, and they're not white, they're not red herrings of, I don't know, did I say white herrings? Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of a thing called a white herring. Red herrings. <laughs> and so like, you know, this, maybe the 72 doesn't mean anything. I've never seen that in escape rooms. Usually the clues are clues and the only red herrings are stuff like you might see a book in a bookshelf. The book says something like the passwords are encrypted or whatever. And that's just a book. Yeah. Uh-huh. Usually it's just a book. They're just props. Yeah, you don't come across red herrings in games too often. Like the, the odd time, you know, you've come across things where you open up a you open up a lockbox and inside is like 20 keys and only one of them is going to be useful. But in those cases, you know which lock it's going to open. So like inside it might have a like a blue logo or something painted on the inside and one of the locks has a blue logo on it. So you know you're just going to have to sit there and try different keys. It's a good way to slow players down, but it's not a particularly challenging puzzle. I found that terribly boring. Oh, I found yeah. that so boring. Trying 30 keys in a lock. Yeah. And then we went through all 30 and we didn't even find it and we had to go through them again. Yeah, it turned out it was a different lock. We tried them on the wrong lock. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, good for slowing well, down. Wouldn't, wouldn't there be another clue to tell you which key inside no, the box? In, in, we in, asked in, that at the one, end. in that one, there wasn't. In some of them, there are, because we've come across that one a couple of times. <laughs> in some of them, there are clues, but in other ones, there aren't. Yeah. I would so recommend maybe, the ones where there are. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you could have a box where you have to just rotate the keypad to unlock it. That's yeah. crazy. That is so, it's so boring. Yeah. <laughs> okay. On the, on the red herrings, though, I have seen one or two red herrings. And I, they don't really add to the, my enjoyment of the game. But I guess that's only because... Maybe you expect it to be something. It's, it's tough to know. Like, because red herring is a kind of a tough phrase and something to kind of define. Because, like, you can look at a map or you can have, like, lots of cool props around. And there'd be lots of numbers. Yeah. That's all part of the puzzle to try and figure out what the actual clue is. I'm just talking about, like, you know, if you un- if you fix a, you solve a puzzle, you open up a drawer that you need to get to, to get into the next room to solve the next puzzle. And then there's, like, a couple of things in there. And one of them just has nothing to do with anything. But it looks like a key or it looks like a puzzle or it looks like something or like a box that is a puzzle with a lock in it but there's actually has nothing to do with the whole thing like they're just putting that in there just to like what you said the game designer pointing that the key for the handcuffs is over here yeah that's a total red herring yeah stuff like that but that I, was I, part of it yeah, yeah. That, that was part of it this you know you think that it's over there and that's what you have to get to and realistically you don't need that at all <laughs> and it turns out that's just nothing <laughs> yeah that's cool does anybody else have anything to say on people trying escape rooms for the first time? It can be a good idea to bring, if you can, if you're going for your first escape room and you're going with a group of people who've never played before, if you bring someone along who maybe has played a game before, or even one or two, because it, it can be handy, because like you said, the, the tropes of, you know, find a code, try it here, find a key, try it there, you know, collect up all the puzzle pieces for opening up an end game clue, stuff like that 
are quite commonplace. And if you have someone with you who's played the game or who's played games like it before, they'll know, oh, we're looking for a lot more of them. Or I have a lock here with a yellow square on it. Someone keep an eye out for a key or anything with a yellow square on it. Stuff like that is is helpful. You're probably going to figure it out anyway, but you know, rather than one person walking around with a yellow squared lock and another person walking around with the yellow squared key and the two of you scratching your heads going, I've no idea what to do because you haven't spoken to each other. Sometimes it can be handy to just have someone who's, you know, done it before and knows what to look out for and stuff like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And like weird things like, I think the first few times there were very fancy puzzles that were really enjoyable, like magnetic locks or electronic locks where you did something on one side of the room and it solved something on the other side of the room. The first time you can not realize that you're supposed to now look for something else to have happened in the room. Yeah. Like, especially if you're very noisy or what you did was really noisy, you don't hear the electronic click. Yeah, there's just a small click happens somewhere in the other side of the room. And you're like, what was that? Probably nothing. Maybe I didn't solve this right. If it's, yeah, if it's, if it's team related, if the puzzle is team related, it's usually easy to tell what's unlocked because you understand from the team or the story what should have unlocked but in some of them that aren't maybe they came up with which like electronic locks are fancy enough to install so they put an effort into it but if it doesn't really follow the story or you don't know why you just did that it can be hard for you to figure out what just happened especially if it's something like that you've never seen before or directional locks clicking them sometimes it's good to have experienced person there who has seen a directional lock before and who knows how to solve a directional lock yeah, so like if you have just done a whole bunch of puzzles in a room and you're like, what, the door, we haven't found a way to open this door. Just try the door. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See if it's open now. It may have just opened, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And some people just don't know if they don't have somebody who's been there before. Because that's the first thing I do is check the door. <laughs> it might be open. <laughs> I win. <laughs> so One then, and a half seconds, a new record. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, just give it a shot. Yeah. Don't like actually break the door open, obviously. <laughs> so are there any alternatives to escape rooms? One thing we like doing is geocaching. If, if you've never come across geocaching before, you might go onto geocaching.com. You might be amazed. There are little boxes and puzzles and secrets hidden all over the world. There's millions and millions and millions of them. You might be surprised that there's probably one directly outside your front door or just around the corner from you or something like that. A lot of them are, you know, you get GPS coordinates, you go, you find the box, you sign your name, that's it, bam, you're done. You log it online and you start collecting them. Some of them have great puzzles to them. You know, you have to you have to solve some puzzles in advance to get the coordinates and you go out. Other ones will give you coordinates and you go out and there's like an in the field puzzle. Like you've got a little birdhouse and you have to play with some of the features on it, like pull out the little tray or lift up the roof or check the numbers around the outside or a neighboring tree has a number written on it to open a lock. Stuff like that is, is really good fun. It's nice, cheap and easy. If you don't want to spend money on a GPS device, you can do it on your phone. It might not be as accurate, but it'll get you it'll get you fairly close. And as GPSs on phones get better, you you might be might be even easier. One tip is they're all ranked. So start with an easy one if you're using GPS on your phone. For yeah. the hard ones, usually you really need to have an accurate GPS. So it's all about being exactly in a weird location or yeah. up a tree or, but they have like a terrain value as well. So if you have to like kayak out to it, which some of them you do, they have like a five level terrain yeah. because it means so, you need special equipment or something. Yeah. yeah. So honestly, start with the easiest ones, but it's just like a escape room. But in real life, it's a treasure hunt yeah. where somebody has set up the treasure about five years ago and they have let people collect the treasure for five years so it's really good and it's really weird that it's like when we started it there were places that we passed every day that had geocaches yeah and we didn't even realize that they were like small boxes hidden in signposts or like magnetically under signs and stuff it's really cool yeah, I personally like geocaching because you learn a lot about the area you're in. You know, some of the clues would be like some sort of monument or oh, yeah. stuff like that. And you have to read the monument and then you're forced to learn about the area you're in. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to have fun, you'll learn first. <laughs> and so you do a geocache and you, you get to this thing, you, you fix it. And then you're like, I now know about this area, which is really cool. And you can t- tell people about it and you're like, well, you can tell people about the area and pretend, you know, and you also did geocaching. So it's kind of cool. It kind of links both of them together. 
Yeah, so, some of the people who hide geocaches out there put, you know, a lot of information about the local area, local history and stuff like that onto the pages. So, you know, if you are into history and local culture and stuff like that, geocaching can be a great way as well of, you know, finding little areas you might not have you might not have looked for before, or maybe a bit off the beaten trail. There's some series where you can walk around parks and take in nice spots and stuff like that, all while looking for little lunch boxes hidden under park benches and trying not to look like an idiot or a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> I like that we found a bird watching place in Donabate. We've lived in Donabate like six years. Oh, yeah. Didn't uh, even know it was there. They have a special, because seemingly enough, there's a lot of wildlife in because we have some marsh or Orna- something ornithologists get all the birds <laughs> <laughs> and geocachers <laughs> anyway it was out in the in the coast and it was a really cool feature we had in our town <laughs> so annoying <laughs> yeah so yeah another another option for alternatives to escape rooms is board games a kind of a, a relatively new thing that's coming out is uh, escape room board games so they're kind of experiences where you can open up a board game and some of them are just like decks of cards some of them have their own kind of props and equipment in it and they're usually like pretty cheap but the best thing about them is you can have this kind of cool experience with your family or friends and then you can kind of wrap it up and then give it to someone else and then they can experience it so it's this kind of one where you spend the uh, money first off and then everybody gets this kind of cool experience cool games that i definitely recommend one of them is the werewolf experience which i i really enjoy it's got like its own little locks its own kind of cool equipment in it and then those are kind of just great ways of having an experience with friends inside so like you know usually all you need is a big kitchen table stuff to lay out all the uh, board game stuff on it and then you're kind of you're going to be kind of walking around picking up cards, trying to figure things out, picking them up and kind of looking at it and different things. It's very similar to an escape room, just all on a kitchen table. Yeah. If any of you go looking for that game, it's called The Werewolf Experiment. Google it, you should find it pretty easy. Escape room in a box is the, <laughs> the first phrase that you'll find. A lot of the escape rooms that you buy in boxes, they'll they'll require you to like cut up cards or cut up manuals or stuff like that. So a good few of them you can't pass on. Some of them let you print off new rule books and stuff like that online so you can repackage it and pass it on to people, which is great. Yeah, so I think the werewolf experiment is quite expensive because it has all those props. But they have actually put together a pack for rebuilding it so that it goes back to normal. So they're like thing is you're investing a bit extra because it's kind of outside the price range of the normal escape room but you get a really high quality product and that they've actually designed for reusability so you can get a few games out of it so it's worth investing in whereas kind of the cheaper end ones probably aren't as reusable a lot of them involve cutting up something yeah so actually that awesome games actually has an escape room board game in the works called princess snowball working title <laughs> yeah, we're thinking something like that. It'll be called Princess Snowball. So maybe save Princess Snowball or something like that. But it's really kind of fun because we we yeah, got into reusability and we have this whole, it's going to be like a deck of cards. It's quite cheap. And then that way you can just kind of give it to your friends afterwards. It's very kind of common to see that, but we have some cool new kind of ideas around this kind of area because we just love board games. We just love board games and escape rooms. So it's kind of a pretty obvious <laughs> mix. Combination, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so follow us on our social media to find out more updates about when that'll be coming out, hopefully soon. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much wraps it up for Escape Rooms. If you enjoyed it, share it. We've been decking out some games. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye. Bye.